Welcome to the Synaptologist Podcast. I'm Daryl Linares, and down the line, of course, is my good friend, Dr. Neil Fox. Neil, how are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. I'm very much looking forward to the series that we have got lined up, which we are calling Filmstock Extra. So these are extra bits of content which we are putting out on the main feed that come from recordings that we did at your Filmstock Festival in Luton. That's right, yeah. We had such great conversations with Mike Carey, Kieran Evans and Jeannie Finley. We wanted to give them some really prominent airtime on the main feed and let people enjoy the, the kind of the wisdom that those amazing filmmakers and writers shared with us. So we're not going to go into a long extended discussion for these episodes and there won't be an outro either. Each one will just go straight into the main body of the content. So what have we got lined up today? On today's episode, it's my conversation with the filmmaker Kieran Evans, where we talk about his work with the Manic Street Preachers, working in music documentary, music video, and his move into narrative film, and just his general approach as an artist. Fantastic. So let's get straight into that now. Please welcome this morning's guest, Kieran Evans. Hello. So yeah, thank you for joining us at Filmstock. Pleasure. It's great to see you, um, and yeah, thank you for kind of spending time talking about your work. No problem. The, we've just seen Truth and Memory, which is uh, one of the one of the films you made uh, with the Manic Street Preachers, which is an ongoing collaboration, which I'd like to spend some time talking about. Okay. Um, so, can we start with how how that came about? How did you kind of come on board, and and and, uh, and how did that collaboration start to grow from where you know where it where the entry point was to what it is now? Um, well, I, I mean, I'd known James from the band for quite a long time before I'd actually worked with him because we shared mutual friends and that type of thing. So we'd have the odd pint together. Um, but it was mainly um, a, fr- a really good friend of my, mine and the band, is a guy called Robin Turner, who did all their press. And he had been just really big, kind of, um, selling me into the band for quite a number of years. And just, just things hadn't just kind of worked out. I was kind of asked to make a film about the journey of the Plague Lovers tour and that type of thing, but why I heard his back so he couldn't play. So it was just this ongoing discussion. And then um, and then they they uh, they made this kind of like uh, two albums in, in, this, in a period of like a year, Rewind the Film and Futurology. And they were looking for a concept for both albums, somehow to kind of frame each one. And kind of make it, you know, it's not often that you get major bands releasing two albums in a year, you know, within a year. So they wanted something to frame it. So I got sent the album, and it was very Welsh. Uh, the Rewind film was a very Welsh themed album, you know. And I just kind of came up with this idea about life in the community set over a couple of decades. Went to me wire and kind of gave him the kind of overview, and that's that's where we kicked off. So yeah. the first thing we did was a film called um, track called Rewind the Film, which had Richard Hawley on, and I don't know, it just it just straight away just seemed to touch a nerve of people. It was just a portrait of a you know a mining community that's that was, that was derelict and that there was not much. You know, it was a place called Trehavod. And it was just a portrait of that place. Yeah. Uh, but for some, you know, it resonated, and we just moved on from there, really. And yeah. then we started. We did a um, uh, a nineteen seventies pastiche or um, social working men's club, 
I think, film with uh, Craig Roberts for second single Show Me Wonder. And that won a cue award for best video. And then we did Anthem for a Lost Cause, which got Caitlin Moran crying. So, um, you know, it was just kind of like, that's where it, that's where it started. And then very quickly, um, the band were going to go on tour. Yeah. And I'd shown them some stuff that I'd done for various other bands of visuals. So I helped design the live show and they put visuals on and they hadn't, they were very um, weary of shows with visuals anyway, because in the past it hadn't really worked out for them in terms of just things like synchronizing the backing tracks, yeah. the technical stuff the band don't really kind of want to know about. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, designed that, went on the road with them, it's been going on ever since. So, uh, I don't want to be the obvious and like, you know, you're Welsh, they're Welsh, yeah. you know, but what it feels like when you're sort of talking about your kind of concept for Rewind the Film, it feels like, you know, you, you share a kind of political sensibility um, in terms of like, you know, the local and, you know, the, the kind of cultural history, you know. So is that, is that something that you, you, you think is, is, is kind of shared and has kind of helped that collaboration? Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously I come from the most western point of Wales, which is like the most remotest part. Um, and, I, and I grew up in a place which is about a thousand people lived. Um, whereas they obviously lived in the valleys, which is a different thing. But the thing that we share is that sense of community, uh, which is very kind of, I mean, it's not just a Welsh thing, but it's a, it's a very working class thing, you know? And yeah, we just share very, you know, those kind of sensibilities and politics. And, and also I was talking to somebody about it the other day about work ethic. That, you know, the band are incredibly hard working, you know, they're very kind of like, almost nine to fivers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I kind of have a similar kind of ethic, which is about keeping, not keeping busy, but just making things. Yeah, doing, doing the work. Thing, doing yeah. the work and pushing yourself forward and trying out new ideas. And just keep moving forward rather than just settling for just what you've got. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's, that's, that's a very Welsh thing as well because, you know, they were, where I grew up, where they grew up, there wasn't that many opportunities. You know, so for where I grew up, you could either, you know, my college teacher told me I could be a carpenter because I was quite good at art and my hands. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> you could I, be an artist. I could, I could be an artist, yeah, but, no, 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 be but I could be a carpenter. And that for me, at careers advice at 15, I was just absolutely was damned if I was going to be a carpenter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wanted to be an artist. So with the band, the band wanted to be, in, you know, wanted to be rock stars, you know. You know, they you know, in the valleys, the coal mines or the steelworks, that kind of thing. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, what you're sort of saying about the, you know, the, the the resonance of rewind the film in terms of structure, you know, those kind of that material touching a nerve. Um, mm. But I think that's that's what is at the heart of what's been at the heart of that band, but also at the heart of a lot of what you've done, which is that that specific is universal. You know, touching into place particularly, yeah. you know, but also. Yeah, understanding those things regardless of a geography, but in a kind of shared culture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I come from one of the most beautiful parts of Wales as well. I mean, in fact, one of the most beautiful parts of the world, to be honest. So geography and a sense of place is, is big in my head anyway. I mean, I, you know, I would wake up and hear the sea and surrounded by huge big vistas of beaches and that type of thing. So, you know, you can't help but be, I suppose, inspired by those spaces, you know what I mean? But when you go into the valleys as well, so even though you've got huge big swathes of social housing and all that, there's still a vastness to it. 
still and made, you know, but just the way the ground roll. And there is something, in a weird way, when I was growing up in St. David's, um, because it was so remote, you know, you never, you know, I lived on a council estate, but it, it was only like a 50 house council estate. But when I used to drive, or, you know, we used to go trips to where, you know, to Cardiff and things like that, you'd go through all these vast valleys. And as far as the eye could see, you could see these kind of lines of streets hugging the side of the mountains. And I know people said that was ugly, but for me, I found that really beautiful. I just found the way they flowed into the, you know, it wasn't high rises and things like that. There was just something kind of magical about it. And I think, ooh. And I think that's, um, you know, I, th I think that's something that I've obviously been burnt into my brain for a yeah. very long time. Well, that's interesting because I think that, you know, what I was sort of saying before in the intro to Truth and Memory is that you, all of your work strikes me as someone who thinks very visually. Um, and then why it kind of, what I was interested in kind of talking to you about in terms of the Manics is they've always been a very visually driven band and they've got a strong sense of what they want the, the, the music to look like, which might seem yes. like a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, you know, particularly the early kind of, um, the way they would present themselves, yeah. their artwork, but then also... The, their visual presentation of like of, of shows and stuff. So I wonder what's it like, what's it like for you as a filmmaker to to work with people who have a kind of distinct visual history, but also are very are they are they still interested in in kind of having control of not what you do, but but understanding how what you want to do fits in with what their idea of themselves. Yeah, I mean, you'd be a funny band if you didn't kind of want to kind of have some sense of creative direction in what your vision is. I think the thing that I suppose I think we've got between myself and the band is kind of a shared vision and a shared trust of what um, what we're trying, what I'm trying to do for them, you know. Yeah. So um, so there's always a two-way conversation going on. It's always it's always with Wire. The other two guys tend to just trust Wire, you know what I mean? So, but what's quite interesting is that they are not only are they kind of like um, you know, book lovers and incredibly articulate and literate and all that kind of stuff, but they're also massive film lovers. James and Sean Spetler and Wire. James and Sean especially. Why not so much, but why kind of tends to go for more uh, bleaker films. <laughs> <laughs> we, have a, we have very long arguments about Blade Runner 2046. So. 2046 or 2049? 2049. 2049. 2046 is the one car wine. That's right, yes. Yeah. So I was getting... But anyway, yes. Which no, side are you on? I think it's a work of genius. Okay. I think it's a beautiful film. I know it's a contentious thing, but Wyatt doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like the way it depicts women. And I was, you know... And I get that, but I still think it's a really classy sci-fi. You, know, you, you don't get sci-fi like that. It's, there's a need for, you know, not everything has to blow up and people in capes. True. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but so so I suppose they're all knowledgeable. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know yeah, they yeah, yeah. they all cite when they first turned up. They were massive fans of Rumblefish mm. and things like that. And you know, on um, um, you know, one of their things was uh, one of their favourite cowboy films is Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, which is lots of money. You know, James is like Dad is a massive Blasters fan, so they're, you're, they're steeped in a film history and a knowledge. So when it comes to ideas, it's, there's always something that between our conversations, yeah. kicks the, you know, the ideas yeah. off, you know. Cool. So, yeah, I want to come back to that in terms of generally working with sure. these artists a bit later on in terms of that, that conversation. But you, you mentioned there something which was, uh, you know, they, they trust and they're on board with what you're trying to do for them. 
Yeah. What are you trying to do with them? Like, what what do you see your your role as in this collaboration? Blimey, that's a tough one. That. <laughs> um, well, I suppose at the start, it was just you know being Welsh and being asked to work with Manic Street Preachers is literally like being offered freedom to a city. You know what I mean? So it, for me, as a that was the thing. Was I was obsessed with them as when they you know I saw them when they first came to London. You know, I followed them for years, held them up in high esteem. So, but I suppose the thing that, you know, I think in certain cases you could get really nervous about, and you could maybe hold yourself back from, you know, not wanting to upset anybody and all that. But, um, but I was quite forthright in terms of what I wanted to do. And I think in the past that working with directors, they, a lot of them were probably, a lot of the directors probably were intimidated by the band a bit and pussyfooted around what was really needed, you know, and I was a bit more direct and Welsh and that type of thing. And, and so I think I've become kind of like almost a, I don't know, a confidant, like a creative confidant. I kind of send them ideas. We're all, you know, we're always, you know, texting each other, seeing things. If I see something on movie and I'm allowed to share it, I send it to James, Sean and Wire, saying, check this out. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just this kind of, creative collabor collaborator kind of thing that I've got going yeah. in there where, you know, they trust me to kind of come up with ideas and to kind of point them in certain directions. And, you know, we've, you know, that, you know that's, wouldn't want to say um, anything more than that, you know. Well, so, why I called you like the band's Anton Corbin. <laughs> yeah, you did. Know, which yeah. I, I don't know if that was tongue in cheek or not, but it, it, it definitely feels like you're, you're creating a body of work which, you know, you do feel like someone who is a great visual translator for what they're doing, both yeah. at the shows, but also in this in kind of increasing body of work that you're making to document them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would never put myself up with, yeah, as Anton Corbin, the you know, photographer, filmmaker, he's a genius. Um, and I love. I mean, I was. I we 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 talked a lot always about things like um, what what Anton Corbin brought to Depeche Mode. Uh, you know, and that kind of identity that he brought with the Super 8 and all that. And what he obviously had done that with Joy Division. But, um, you know, you can't, you, you see that that relationship has been going on ever since, you know. Yeah. And I think that was what, I think, what Wise, what he liked working with me about is this, this clearly conversations going on all the time, you know. And I think, you know, Wise likes a chat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned there about trust um, and that they trust you and then I wanted to show a clip from the latest work that you've done yes. which is this concert film from the Holy Bible tour yeah. um, which that feels like you know the asking you to do that that's felt like a, a kind of a, a real big level of trust because that is obviously the, the album that sits at the centre of the yeah. man's kind of mythology the legacy and the, the actual history mm -hmm. but, but also it's a uncompromising record made by a band 20 years older than, than they were so um, when, when does that come along in terms of the, the, the timeline and is that early you know in terms of the tours that you're covering or yeah yeah you know? I mean you know the, the tour actually happened in what five years ago 2014 um, and really, really I mean again this is probably this is what I was trying to point out earlier was the band Obviously, had decided to do the Holy Bible tour, and it was only on the back of the fact that Rewind Film and Futurology were really you know, critically acclaimed, 
uh, and relevant, and all yeah. those kind of things, and things, all the buzzwords that the music press love to kind of throw at a band when they're back. You know what I mean? They haven't lost their chops and all that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, but so that it gave them a confidence saying, oh, maybe we should do the whole album. You know, it'd been floating around, but they'd never been a right. Let's do it. So, what was going to be the Futurology tour? I think, right? If, if I'm right, I think it is. Basically, they decided, oh no, we won't do Futurology. We'll do Holy Bible. Uh, and obviously, then they bunkered down, and then obviously, you know, the nerves come back. And it's such an intense record, and you know, self doubt comes in about what are they going to do. With you know, the record justice by playing it live, all those elements come in. So when um, when the planning started about uh, you know the tour and all that, I I said, You're gonna you're gonna get some somebody to film this, aren't you? And they go, No, 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 no way, no yeah. way. It's just like, you know, if it's shit, we don't want anything going on the record, you know. And I was like, Well that's just crazy and they, you know, and I was going, No, no, we just you know, we don't want a multi camera thing, we don't want to record it and all that. And I just look uh, I'm not suggesting that um, we do that. I think I should go on the road with you. I'll just take my little digital camera and I'll just film it as I feel, as I think it should be filmed, rather than doing a traditional band on the road or anything like that. And uh, she said, oh, okay, I'll have a think about it. And then they said, well, I'll talk to the band. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can come. I mean, what, what, is, what do you think you're gonna, it's going to be like? I was going, well, actually, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> But I said that like, the way I the way I got it in my head is it, imagine if Gaspar Noy was directing this, film, <laughs> then this is what would, this yeah. is what he would do, and you go yeah okay that's great that's all that kind of thing. so that's how it started. I took picked up my hacked C um, what was it, it's Canon five fifty, hacked it two lenses, took another little camera just to kind of on a, on, a, on a tripod, and that was it. That was just me. And, and when I kind of filmed the shows, really. But the pitch I said to them when we were doing it was that I'll just film one of you each night. So one night I'd be on James, next night with Sean, next night with Wire, and then I choreographed myself yeah. to go around the space. Um, and that's how it started. And I was, to be honest, I was quite terrified because was, this is a, you know, this record means so much to so many people, and it's such a why does it? It's just, you know, just been voted something like the greatest rock record in the 90s by the NME. You know, it still, still has that um, cultural, you know, sort of like a ju juggernaut. You yeah. know what I mean? It's got that kind of hoobers about it. So, um, I, when I start going, I mean, I know they were nervous, of course they would be, but I was getting, I was slightly shitting myself as well because I was going, <laughs> oh, how am I going to, you know, this, this could. It's a cr truly amazing one-off cultural event. Yeah. If I fuck up, I'm going to look like an idiot. Um, so there was certain notes, and I, I had kind of played it out in my head about how I wanted to shoot it, which was no wides, yeah. no. Or if there was a wide, it would be kind of seen as almost as it was the perspective of a person, yeah. not like a camera or something like that. So it was this idea of lots of looking eyes, and you know. And as the tour progressed, you know, I noticed that the fans were just completely lost in it. Yeah. So it, after a couple of nights, I, there was something about it. I felt we've got something, we've got something. I don't know what it is yet, but everything I'm shooting just feels exciting. And they were amazing shots. They yeah. were absolutely spine tingling 
electric shirts. And I don't think I've ever, I don't think I'll ever experience something like that. Visceral, you know, the way this whole night was set up was quite good. So when you came into the venue, the lights were kind of toned down, they were dark, it wasn't bright, you know. So there was a kind of mood and an atmosphere. And as you came in, they had the DJs playing 15 minutes even before the doors were open. So they could just get, get the vibe going and they had Errol Alkin playing the darkest goth music and, you know, at the roundhouse. And it kind of, when the crowd came in, it was, you know, there was just something special in the air. Yeah. You could sense it. And, you know, for a lot of people, this was their, this was their moment, their time. This yeah. was the thing that they've been, once they put on this earth for, but they were, this was the thing that they'd kind of been living uh, or heading towards. They wanted this record to be performed to them. You could just tell by looking at the faces that they were. Great. Uh, let's have a, let's have, we're going to watch uh, the performance of Faster from uh, Be Pure, Be Vigilant, Behave, which yeah. is Kieran's new film for the Manistry Bridge. Pure epileptic. <laughs> Like, yeah, um, you wanted us to show that on a Sunday morning, the whole thing. The whole thing is just like that. Um, uh, it's an extraordinary piece of work. Uh, and it's interesting you talk about, you know, kind of the way you showed it to build the trust, because I think that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, it, that makes me really emotional seeing that, because I think you, you, you capture, like you say, you capture the what it means to the fans, you capture what it means to the you know, the, the, not just the fans in the room, but the fans at home, you know, and it's so rare for a concert film to make people feel like they're there and to invite them into that space. Mm -hmm. And the way you film it and the way it's cut kind of just invites you in and, and makes you feel welcome into an experience. Because so many concert films are like, you but almost, no. yeah, like you weren't there, look at what you missed. And this is like, no, come into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And what's extraordinary is that, you know, this is the record that, I mean, after this, everything changes yeah. for the band, you know, and you can feel, you can feel the eight, you can feel the 20 years, you can feel James trying to get back vocally, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's all in there and that really kind of adds to it. You yeah. know, you're not kind of, again, not trying to cosmetically make it polished or anything. Like, no. I mean, it's a, it's a hell, of a hell of a performance of everything that's a negative, but in that sense of like, oh, trying to make it feel like they can, they can do what they did 20 years ago, but that's not the point, is it? No, not at all. And also, you know, the, the difficulty with the Holy Bible is that it's now framed as Richie's album. Mm. And you know, which he was a major lyricist, but he was a terrible musician. <laughs> so there were, you know, you know, just like film, there's there's pictures and there's sound. Yeah. You know, and so you know, there were other, there were three other people involved in the making of that record. Yeah. And the way you know, it's not them, but it's the way music journalism tends to, you know, find find a story where there isn't one and all that kind of thing. So when you know when they started going on on the Holy Bible. You could definitely, you know, they were not going to just casually do it. It wasn't like, it wasn't going to be simply read the Return King Car 22 or anything like This was just one, this was going to be one tempo moment and that was it. Yeah. So, especially with James, you know, there was so much riding on him, really. 
I mean, just just singing those lyrics. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, they, you know, just watching him practice it and how's your brain spit those lyrics out so quickly and then play guitar like that <laughs> and like and also you know and he's it's not just guitar he's hitting pedals and he's moving around the stage yeah. and it's like kind of superhuman head is doing that yeah. but also the other thing is that you know um in the whole film i've kind of especially with i did a thing with Shaw where i just wanted to kind of concentrate on his face because it's the, it's the one person that you don't really get to and you, see. And the film opens up with a lot of Sean. Yeah. Really kind of close up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you see the intensity in his face as well. That's the thing that kind of... And I started shooting, actually, to be honest, I started the film actually on with Sean, actually, because I just thought I'd, I'd play safe, which was the stupidest, stupidy, stupidy decision uh, to make, because I decided to say I want to be invisible for the first bit of the shooting. So I decided I'd start with Sean and I'll hide behind um, James's guitar amps. And there was loads of camo netting, so it made kind of it quite interesting and set up and got this really nice shot when um, they were doing a sound check. I was like, okay, so this, this could be good and I've got a good angle. And um, the one thing I didn't obviously factor into my position, and it was a very tight squeeze, was the fact that I was actually unbeknown to me, sitting right next to a dry ice machine and a strobe. <laughs> <laughs> so literally, when I was just got ready to go filming, and uh, obviously the you know, the, um, the lights go down and you know, a bit of build you know, music um, comes on you know, to build anticipation on, and then just as I could see the band coming up going on the stage, this massive cloud of dry ice. Absolutely, just blows into my face, freezes half my left hand, <laughs> half my face. I'm going, oh my god, I can't. I've got dry ice in my eye, can't see anything. And then the band, you know, they come on, and I'm just, I just about steadied myself to get ready to go. And the next thing, obviously, yes, kicks in, and, this, and then this Colin, the lying guy, just hits the strobe, and the strobe is right next to my camera. And I'm like, going, oh my god, I'm blind, and I'm numbing the side of my face. And I'm thinking, oh my god, <laughs> I'm thinking, this is going to be a disaster. Oh my god, oh my god, what have I done? But, you know, luckily, I managed to uh, figure a way around it. As if it wasn't intense enough. I know. And all that stuff. Dry in. ice in my left eye. And also, you know, I'm not sure if people are here, but, you know, you try shooting in a stroke <laughs> and trying to, just trying to even find a focus in that. I mean, that, I mean, that's kind of part of the energy of it. You know, I just... Because I think you take to edit because there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there. How many shows did you shoot? And then I shot all the shows. So there was eleven shows. So, yeah. um, it was actually you know the thing about it was was that we made this golden rule about the way we we're going to cut it was some part sometimes people will you know cheat cheat shots kind of take something from there or that look good there and that good there. So we I basically divvied up the edits so that no no one had whole cut to work with so yeah. Robbie and Sam so Robbie had one track and he only had, so basically what we did we cut it in a final cut because that's that was my preferred mode of operandi and we just stack up the 10 layers and they would cut across that mm. and they would have one track okay. um, and then you know that's and then sometimes like you know we'd be what I'd be watching one cut and then maybe Sam had done something like before so I'll try this yeah this you know yeah yeah a really nice Technique of cutting into the shot and all that kind of stuff. And that just seemed to kind of propel it forward, and it was, you know, it was, it was 
these were all, it wasn't done. The other thing I should say was that um, the, the initial idea was just to, act, you know, just to make a record of the tour. There was no plan to make a film whatsoever, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's only when the band got to Rowness and they felt they should record, they, they said, we'd be stupid not to record it. Yeah. So they got somebody in real last minute, Guy Massey, to record two of the Rowness shows. And, and again, for no other reason than just to kind of archive it. Yeah, I think there was no plan. And what happened was that Dave Erringer did a mix of Revolk, and it just got sent to me, and it stole, you know, I stole, it, sound, it sounded amazing. And I just said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll have a little cut, I'll have a go at this. And I put it up against all the Revolk footage, cut something together, sent it off to Wire, and he just went, holy fuck, we might have something here. And what do you think? And then loads of people saying, "Wow, right, okay." And I, you know, because you know, I'd been talking about it. I thought it was a bit Gasparnoy and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, nobody had seen what I'd shot. Yeah. So the third, so I was a bit shit scared as well about. Oh my god! They go, oh, "This is not like a concert film." Yeah. Um, but then the reception of it, and then that just kind of kicked. Like we've got. Well, can you do a few more tracks? Yeah. We just moved on there, but you know, again, it wasn't. I think it was just like, okay, let's just see what it looks like. Yeah, let's see what it looks like with a couple more tracks. You do a few more and then you, you know. But I think it didn't, even though it kind of seems logical, like you go, okay, Holy Bible, tip of the 11, 12 tracks, um, people still didn't see it as, a, you know, a film or yeah. such. They just saw it as a record. It was the only time, the thing that when it came together was, I had to stitch, I don't know, something, I don't know. I think there was something about an American tour and they wanted a couple of tracks and you know how Americans are. They tend to kind of fast forward really quickly. They want, you have to kind of grab their attention, yeah. you know. So I came up with this idea about doing, all, so basically in between each song there are these kind of like, well, more strobes, more strobes, <laughs> blip verpy, blip vertic type, like what single word, um, flash, Flashing on screen of an, ex an extract from the lyric for the upcoming song. So I just did that. I just made it as noisy and abrupt and in your face as you could. And I just did it. That's how I started. I said nothing about that. And then why is it? That's brilliant. Let's, let's, maybe if we put that between every song. Oh, right. Oh, right. Because you know, no, no, I think, we, I, I think we've got to do it now. And that's, that's how it started. You yeah. know, that's how it the ball. There wasn't anything about right. We've got to have a release date and all that. Um, that's good because I think that's what we're going to kind of talk about next. But yeah. I will show a clip in a bit, which is kind of yeah, this the way you work with with these artists um, yeah. because you know so much of your work is is conceptual, and I just wanted to sort of talk about the difference between you know where it's pitched and where it's a kind of collaboration. So let's watch. Should we watch something? But we're moving on quite quick. Should we move on to the outer edges? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we just move a few through um, to Cabaret Hour. Do you want to show the trailer? Oh, you want to show the trailer first? And then, yeah, that'll give us a sense. Of, yeah. yeah. So. One of the rules is no politics, no religion, no sex. Thank <laughs> you. 
stop anymore in the edge if you try. All you're doing is working with the basic forces of nature. Regardless of what you do, we'll carry on. Life's what you make it. It could have been better. Could have been worse. I looked at myself and thought, what am I good at? What can I do with my life? My thing is to get out of here, but I wouldn't tell you. Kevin's estuary. Good memories? Yeah, no, it was a, yeah, I mean. Do you want to just sort of give us a little bit of info about that project? I mean, obviously a lot of the themes we've already touched on, like place, yeah. particularly, and community, seem to be in that, but yeah. what was the actual project? So, again, this kind of comes back to my friend Robert Turner, because <laughs> not only did was he press, managed press for Maddox, he was also press for Underworld. And I knew Rick and Carl from back in the early days of raves from Megadog and that type of thing, because I worked with a band called Grid and we shared the same stage and I did the visuals. So, um, so basically what happened was the Underworld had done the Olympics and I think Carl was kicking around a bit and had wanted to make his own record. And Robin just sent me the album just to have a listen to. And well, I'd say that Carl was, wanted to have something different. Um, and I just listened to it and I just got this kind of sense of a journey in songs and Carl, and, Carl especially is obsessed with Essex <laughs> all that all that area that kind of you know, that run into London he always he's, he always, if, you, if you watch him if you follow him on Twitter or if you look at his blogs there's always about the Emerald City and all that kind of stuff um, and I, you know, and we've had many cups of tea before, so I just started chatting with Carl one day, and I start, you know, I just he started talking about. Um, he didn't want to impose an idea on it. He just he just wanted to kind of have something that kind of uh, uh, hinted at his love of of geography of London, and. I was kind of taken with the fact that his route into London comes from this, uh, he lives just by Bishop Stalford. And it's quite close to, um, this is going to be embarrassing because I've forgotten the name of the river. It's not the River Lee, it's another one. Um, can, we, can we insert this? We can insert this again. Uh, oh no, it's, it's the Roding, Roding River. And the Roding River actually just starts about a couple of miles away, or comes up about um, two or three miles away from where he actually lives. And it then and it basically comes all the way down and kind of traces the M25 and comes in along the east end through Dagenham and Barking and all that, and then Rose goes out into the Thames. And I found that quite interesting, and I thought, well, maybe what we could do is the story could be about following the flow of water as it goes along the edges of London. And I was, 
which I talk about, what excited us when we first ever came to London was, it's about when you first see London from a distance. It's so exciting. You think, you know, you can see all the, the lights coming in at night. But that's for us from, a, from newcomers, shall we say. But what about all the people who live on that edge but never really get to see the whole of London and all that type of stuff? And it kind of developed from there, really. So I started, I pitched this psychogeographic um, hybrid documentary kind of style film for them where the our concept would be I would take a journey from, from the start of the roading and I would travel down and follow its course and along the way I would meet people on the on that journey and I would kind of like not not random but not also not overly researched yeah so so, so that you know that whole thing with especially with the BBC as well, is that they overly research people because they have to have something about them. Or, and I, what I was quite interested in was everyone has a story. It's about your skill to get the story out. And also that, you know, you could meet somebody in an allotment, right? So we were shooting in an allotment and that was the first part of the film. And we had these two guys lined up and they, they were all right. You know what I mean? They were classic but they didn't really have anything. They weren't throwing themselves personally into it. And then there was this guy called Pete, who you hear, who says, likes what you make it. And he started chatting. I persuaded him to talk about stuff. And he came up with the most kind of spine-tingling story about how he lost his wife and how he'd never been able to recover and that the garden and looking at the river was his only thing. That kind of kept him sane. And that's the only thing that, you know, that's what he said, likes what you make it. And it was just heartbreaking to hear. And that's kind of how we started off. So the journey became these snapshots of people, I wouldn't say trapped on the outer edges of yeah. London, but were you know, occupying. Yeah. And that's, that's what it did. So we kind of then planned the journey. Yeah. There was no plan to use them. The other thing that Carl weirdly was saying was that I don't want to use the music from the album, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also the thing it's is, got my, my knack for self promo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but what was quite interesting was that you know he hadn't actually had put a name to the album when we started working on it. I'd written a load of scripts and stuff like that, and then as part of it, I'd used there was a um, it was a collection of poems or um, was like an essay called Edgeland um, by two poets, which was all about the exploration of cities from a distance. Um, and I led to him, and um, after the weekend, he said, oh, I'm going to call the album Edgeland. So everything kind of framed, got framed yeah. into the film. And um, what's interesting about that process, which kind of goes back to the you know, stuff that you've done with 4K, like Finisterre and stuff, it feels, yeah. it feels like, and the, the, you know, the, the rewind, the film, it feels like there's a real journalistic impulse in terms of, yeah. you know, like classic journalism, where you're going out, you know, you're not interested in following a band on the road, but you're interested in, like, what's the... What's life like along the road? Like what's the story of yeah. these people that, that, that kind of that we pass by? Yeah, and I think you know you. Uh, I'm lucky to work with certain bands who are who have a kind of who care about. I don't make it sound twee, but care about the cold man. Who kind of like you know um, see themselves in an elevated state but never use it. You know to kind of curry favour or anything like that. And uh, you know, I always tell whether I'm interested in a band by whether they read the newspapers. So you know, so the Mannix, James has already got to, always buys the Guardian, the Independent on the tour is always sharing things with you. 
Carl is the same, he's always reading. And I think that's kind of, I don't want to sound like, you know, the idea of reading and that kind of old idea of learning and self-learning is always appealing to me. And I think that that, that kind of working with bands like that kind of informs how I want to work and how I want to dig around in what their music means. So I'm not kind of, sometimes not looking at the lyrics to a song and thinking, all right, I've got to, that's what I've got to relate to. Sometimes I'm listening just to the mood of a track. So in a lot of the, so basically when we were making the film, so I created all the, the, the films and then Carl gave me all the, the stems me and my editor just went and we just started creating moods based on those tracks and then we gave it back to Carl and then they did a mix so we kind of created our own soundtrack to it. Um, so it's connected but it's not the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no lyrics. There's no there's no songs. I mean, yeah. we, I, mean I think Universal kind of paid for it but they were going, where's the song? <laughs> <laughs> What's this? Uh, <laughs> but you know, which, it was amazing and then from that, you know, um, Carl, Carl, they, we got approached for Carl to do a live soundtrack performance of the film. So, you know, we did the Closed East End Film Festival and things like that, where what we created as a film became his performance, yeah. you know. And uh, what, what um, you'll hear when we show this clip, I think, but so what Carl, Carl's presence in the film became this narrator. Because I thought he's got an amazing speaking voice. We tried a few other people. And, you, and I just went up to him and said, you know, I think the thing is, you're just pushing yourself away from this project because you don't want, you know, but your voice needs to be heard. And if we're not going to use your lyrics, you know, we should do, you know, we should hear you speaking. And, um, and then he said, oh, I don't sure I've been writing the narration. So we'll write it together. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we'll just put sequences up and we'll, you look at them and you can respond to it and we'll try a few things and that's how it starts great well let's um yeah let's hear a little bit of that from living the dream to half-time bingo She couldn't even buy myself. I, I was so thirsty, but I would not I even buy myself a drink in that place. I just could not do it. And uh, well, that is well, that's a remarkable piece of filmmaking. Then, you know. oh, I tell you what. But yeah. you know, if, to, you know, but you know, to kind of to, to go down that road, you know, a little bit is you know, it you you can see past you know. Because what I was going to say was like you you know. You, you don't just know Carl, but you know Underworld, and you know the sound of his voice, and you know you know what 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 resonates with him as an artist. So when you go to him and say, "It needs your voice," you understand what that voice has meant since yeah yeah you know and what it what it means when we hear it on a on a track or on a yeah. thing. But so many you see so many music videos, documentaries where it's you see the filmmaker imposing what they think the artist is, yeah. and you're not doing that there. But also you're not 
judging anybody you meet and trying to find what what's going to connect as an audience with them, which is that's yeah that that yeah. again I think that makes that makes the work so resonant and and complex yeah emotionally and also you know. Bonnie was quite a fascinating character, you know, I could make a film about her all day long, you know. Because, you know, there's this, when Carl was asking me, why are you going for this person? I think because there's this other side to music and this whole other world. We think about the music business as, you know, Taylor Swift and all that. But there is this underbelly of music, you know, people who, who earn across from playing music, but, uh, but they will go and play 50 quid in an OAP zone. For a lunchtime gig, and they, you know, this is this is their journey. And then they, you know, especially around the East End, you know, there's there's loads of, you know, kind of people who just do this kind of gig, which is like, you know, getting up on a Monday morning, go and play to like I don't know, fifteen OAPs for like, you know, for an hour. You know, you've got to have some balls to do that. You know what I mean? And I have a there's a huge admiration for somebody who can, who loves their music enough. To do that, you know, it's not. Joe's going, you know, she, she was saying, I don't really have to do it, but you know, I see what happens in their face. You know, yeah. See what happens to their faces when they sing a song, and yeah, that kind of that's my payback, you know. Um, yeah, so her, I mean, when you go to her site, it's quite funny. When you go to her web page, she she has all these dates. You know, she's a bit like a tour date. You know, it is just exactly like watching the band, but you see all these tour dates, UK tour, but it's literally all within about. A twenty mile radius, you know, they're just going up to kind of Ramsgate, down there, down there, and then it kind of goes world tour, <laughs> which is like the cruise. Yeah. You know? and it's like, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. There's just something about that kind of thing, and also, you know, that comes back to where I grew up as well. With just, you know, there was very little you could do. There was working men's club, you know? yeah. so that's kind of how you access live music, you know, yeah. whether it was good or bad. So yeah, it's that well, yes, yeah, that connection to live music, yeah. which is. Is, yeah. is powerful in any form, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's. That, they were a tough crowd. <laughs> I mean, what's quite funny about them is that you know, uh, loads of people like you know, it's a, it's a proper night, you know, and it's a really interesting. It reminded me of home a lot, you know, even though I was in a Tory club and all that kind of stuff about what a building means to people, yeah. regardless of your politics and all that, and that whole sense of community. And you could feel it, you know, with Dagenham and all that, and the Ford workers and, you know, all that decimated, decimated industry, that, you know, this is a little pocket of life that is slowly dwindling. You know, you're looking around and, you know, that, you know there were Zimmer frames. There's a reason why there's Zimmer frames in there. So there's a lot of people getting old and they're not, that's your, that's your um, clientele and there's nobody coming up behind it. Mm. You know, you just see them dwindling, and so you could feel on that night as well as that a lot of people aren't long for this world. Yeah, and there's not, you know, there's very few young people there. You know, so this space is the once a once a week way of kind of I don't know, letting go, yeah. feeling as if you're part of something. But they people were turning up with like Chinese takeaways. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh no, you know. Scampi in a basket obviously wasn't the hit <laughs> there, but you know people were turning up with Chinese takeaways and they were eating their food there, and it was all above board. People yeah. bringing in packs of crisps, completely undercutting the club that they're supposed to be scoring, <laughs> which kind of sums up the tourists. You brought it back round. So we're kind of, we're kind of moving towards the end now. I'd like to talk about your about your narrative filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, very limited, limited but not insubstantial. 
Um, and uh, you know, you you made a film, uh, or you made you made you made short films, but you you made the film Kelly Kelly and Victor uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of are in that process uh, of of doing the next one. You mm. know, um, and uh, so delivered to the BFI. Excellent. Only no. six months late. My agent probably lost his hair. <laughs> yeah. But it's all about relationships, apparently. Okay. Um, maybe we shouldn't talk about the uh, narrative stuff. Um, no, 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 it's fine. No, no. But I just wanted to kind of, just in terms of you as a filmmaker, because I think Kelly and Victor is such a striking film, um, it doesn't feel like the normal kind of, I'm moving across from this thing to this thing. Yeah. You know? There's so many connections in terms of, like, sort of say, zeroing in on. On a, on a you know relationship and a life lived in you know two a very intense relationship between two people, place is very important. Music is very important. So it feels very connected in in ways. Um, you know. So I just wondered, obviously, because you're so prolific and that work ethic and there's that interest that brings all of this work. You know, just where where does the narrative stuff fit for you? How do you think about it? What you know? What does it mean to you? And and why? I guess are you kind of going through that process? So. I mean, I've always loved films. I've always wanted to make films, and I've always, you know, my mum's a massive, was a massive film buff, still is. You know, I, I remember sitting down and watching Hitchcock with her when I was seven, and you know, from a very early age, I loved films, and I always wanted to make films. But I, I wanted to make films that I wanted to make. Rather. And so, Kelly, when I when I was approached, were like, you know, by this wonderful producer called Janine Marmont, she saw she's seen a couple of things I'd done, and she just approached me. She really think about doing narrative work. Um, you know, she tasked me with this idea, like go away and think about it, go and find a story. And she's saying, maybe not write your own thing. Go, you know, find a story that resonates with you. I'm sure that says a lot about me. Because so, we the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> but the book, I was a massive fan of a writer called Earl Griffiths. He was a real interesting Welsh. You know, he was kind of like uh, sounds really weird. Cause he was considered like the Welsh, urban Welsh, if you get me saying. He was right visceral, and his first um, couple of books just really kind of like were sort of grits, and then there was Sheep Shagger. <laughs> but they were really intense books. They could really like bloody hell. But I got it, I just saw what he was getting at. And then he, we became friends, and he sent me a copy, like a proof copy of Kelly and Victor. And I, was, I mean, I was just blown away by it. I mean, it's very, very, very intense and hardcore in terms of its depiction of sex and that type of thing. But there was a humanity to the writing which was incredible. And also, the way he constructed the story, so it's, you know, so basically half the book is just dedicated to um, Victor's vision and side of, the, side of his story, and then the second half is Kelly's. So you, you're only really coming together at the end when you figure out what they've been doing. And I just was blown, blown away by it. And so is, is that, is that so you like say you, it's, it's about, again, like all the work about the project itself, rather than like, I want to be a narrative filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. about like, I've got to find the thing that I can connect with. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that, yeah, I did connect with it, and I took it to Janine, and I, we developed it, and you know, it's not an easy. It was not an easy film to finance. Let's just say that because of the you know, content, you know, austerity just kicked in as well. So it wasn't something that was going to make people happy. Obviously, yeah. um, 
But I think when I when I think about what I want to make as a narrative filmmaker, I am not. I I realise very quickly when I've done Kelly Victor and everything that came with it. You know, there's a lot of jobbing directors out there, and um, I just didn't want to be just. I just didn't want to be somebody you the go you know who goes into the cycle of making films every two years, you know, and you churn and you churn and you churn, and sometimes after a while you kind of look at a lot of directors who have showed a lot of promise and have just taken the paycheck and their body of work just goes really down the dumper, and and then you're caught in a cycle of you know you're working all that time and you, you get used to the money and and you know the money would be great you know but I th I find I would find that really really depressing so does is does it is that you know is is that a help then that you can kind of you've got all these collaborators but you can jump across a, you know a tour yeah. a music video a doc and now you know like you can yeah. kind of just keep so I mean, you keep yourself yeah really excited i mean I'm, i i think i'm really lucky that i i i can jump across these different genres shall we say um but i think that's not just because I, it's out of necessity but i actually love doing these different things you know i i i couldn't as i said before i couldn't just get into a two-year cycle of making films because i like to kind of put everything into it and when i did kelly bitter was so exhausted yeah. by the end of it. it was such a deep long process and just i mean i, I my brain wasn't ready to even to even consider making another film and um, to be honest the idea of being on a film set for like three months of my life fills me with fear unless i really want to do it I just, I just couldn't. I just, I don't like being around film sets unless I'm really in it. Yeah. Know? So, with moving forward and making finding projects, it's about, I suppose, get, getting your mindset right. Okay, I want to make this film, and okay, this is going to take two years to develop because you know this is, this is you know a kind of, um, well, my next my next film hopefully is like a. A Welsh language period drama spanning sixty years. So you know, I don't make things easy for myself. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like takes a bit of time. Yeah, takes a bit. You know, uh, but you know, because of that, because I have that goal, I can then think about other things and yeah. do it. But with that, you know, that kind of thing, that point in the distance that says, right, okay, that's what I'm aiming for. And you know, so. You know, it's just taken a bit of time. I think after the BAFTA thing and all that, you just get given loads of nonsense about you're a genius and all this kind of stuff by people who've never seen you work. Yeah. And you just you spend about a year being told you're you know, you're great and you're you're the future and all this shit. And you know, you go to meetings where people see it's just I've watched half your film. You know, and they say, Oh, it's so good, but you know, I'll watch it later. I'm going, Really? Really? I say, I'll tell you what, I'll 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 only fill in half the application for a job. You know, your job that July. You know, so you, you you know that is. I mean, I found some of the stuff that went on. I think that's the other thing as well is that film industry is full of full of very well intentioned people, but it's also permeated with a bunch of wankers who just basically just mouth words and they don't even think about it. And cutting through that shit is a problem when you're trying to make the that you want to do because you some you lose all trust. You know, so about the power. Trust is really important. You know, if somebody tells you something, I mean, the, the amount of executives who spouted shit to me in the weeks and months after winning the BAFTA, you could, I could make a book about it. It's just hilarious. But 
you kind of lose all trust with people that you just don't trust anyone. So you kind of go back to this idea of having to hold on to something a yeah. lot more. So and a bit of a control freakery kind of thing. Don't you? Well, I think that I mean. We'll Sorry, I'm ranting on. No, no, I'm right, yeah, but, but, I've done it. No, it's all right. No, it's fine. Um, it's good because you give me a nice segue to, to kind of wrap things up because you were saying about going back to something that you believe in, um, and we were talking about what to end with, and we right. and we said about the, uh, the a film that you just made, well, a music video you just made with Edwin Collins that you said you were really sure. proud of. Um, so you're not going to show trailer, but well, I mean, we could show the trailer. Just the trailer, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to see it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. right. We'll have the trailer for Kelly and Victor, and then we'll. You know, decompress at that with a uh, with a little roundup, and then the uh, the Edward Collins, uh, the new Edward Collins uh, music again. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because the other clip you watched halfway through, and that one you were you kept a bit away. So you know, is it? It's obviously a film that you're not revisiting, but you know, when was the last time you went 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 back in then? Oh, uh, I think also because uh, a bit like other filmmakers, once you've done the film, you don't want to watch it again because it's it's been part of your life for so long, and so. That's some of some of it is that. Yeah. Um, some of it is a bit more personal, and fortunately, uh, the person who um, composed a lot of the music that I used, Vince, was an old friend of mine. But um, he committed suicide about a year after we finished it, and actually, I find it very hard to listen to it because I can hear him. So it's you know, he was a very you know, still I, I still can't really talk about it but that becomes a quite personal thing yeah. and so you know you just it's loaded shall we say yeah. that okay. um, but he did a beautiful job and you know he, he was the one if I can talk very quickly about him is that he gave me all these stems of tracks that he did and like we did with um, Carl and the Outer Edges I took apart the stems and we kind of built this motif and then he went away and he kind of came up with this idea about why don't you just start with this bit of stem and then by the end of the film you've got the whole song but all the way through it we're almost kind of building to a song and it was his idea and so and it worked you know it worked it's, yeah it's beautiful well um we'll wrap up now and we'll finish with the uh with the the music video so um yeah thank you so much for yeah thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your work pleasure um yeah Anything you wanted to say about this last piece of work before we? So uh, luckily, I, I, I got to work. I get to work with some amazing artists, and I got to work with. Ed, I get to work with Edwin Collins, who is just an absolute artist. Um, given his, you know, given what he's gone through, it's quite amazing. Uh, and again, it's one of those things. It's all about trust. Years. So they said, uh, call me and said, what do you want to do? And I, I 
we've done we've done performance videos with it before with, with like friends and people like that and I said oh god I can't really kind of do another pop performance video so I said found her up said I don't really want to make a pop video for us this is the thing I don't want to do it and she goes oh fucking brilliant brilliant what do you want to do it she's like well we're really well Elmstow where you live she's like I was thinking maybe we should just do a portrait of the space where you live and where Edward goes to walk and all that way and why don't we use the spaces that inspire it now to and it will just be again like a portrait of the spaces and and there won't be any performance work. She's like, oh, this is fucking brilliant. Edwin doesn't want to sing anymore like that. He's bored of it. He says, like, you just come up here. And so basically, about a week later, she flew me up to Helmsdale. I spent a week with, with them. We sh they just drove me around this amazing, beautiful part of the Highlands. And I just got inspired. And I would go off. They'd drop me off. I'd have the record in my ears. And I would just walk around and listen to the record and start filming. And then I built this portrait. So I've made... I've actually made seven films for it, which we've got to stitch together for Bad Bay, but this is for, I guess we were young, yeah. is that the one? So, yes. And, you know, again, it has this kind of echoes of your past, in a weird way, because it's, we, I kind of, well, this one was a bit sleazy, I just started thinking about where people would make out <laughs> in remote places. <laughs> but... You know, coming from very rough places, I do remember why, what bus stops held you know, <laughs> and things like that. So, you know, you just have this idea, yeah. oh yeah, and then it just went from there. Right. And there's a mate, yeah. If everybody, if everyone scores a holiday in Scotland, go to Helmsdale and listen. It is absolutely stunning. As we're about to see. So, please join me in thanking Kieran Evans. Thank you. Thank you.